Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake. You can get me on Twitter at JakeJapper with two N's, and I write for EPL Index. Uh, I'm Richard Burns. I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns, and I'm a member of the Blue Moon Podcast, uh, which is at Blue Moon Podcast. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, up first, let's talk about the Champions League a little bit. All of the Premier League teams advanced again this year, just as they did last year. This time, four teams. Last year, there was obviously that weird five because of United gaining entry through the Europa League. My question for you guys on this is, do you take any pride in all of the clubs going through, even if you don't support them? Or do you think that this enhances the Premier League's reputation throughout the world in some way? Um, I. I don't really care either way, to be honest. Um, it's it's I it is quite good to have English teams in it, just just for the spectacle, I guess. And um, the games, are, you know, the Champions League is a little bit more relevant in England, and that's always a good thing, just for the competition as a whole, I think. And for yeah, I, it's good, but I don't really care. Um, I was sort of surprised that Manchester United went through, considering all. Um, quite funny that they had a chance to actually win the group on I think it was Wednesday wasn't it and if they'd have beaten um, Valencia but they were completely awful so that would have been um, yeah so they, they didn't but it yeah, the one thing for me that is quite interesting is that none of the it, was it only one team went through in first place uh, yeah I think so yeah so I think that's a little bit surprising you'd have thought that given the, the relative strength of especially three of the teams in it um I guess Tottenham and Barcelona, but you'd have thought that um, Liverpool might have topped their group as well after their first result against PSG um, and get into the final last year. So it, it's good, but I just don't think it's... I, I'm not sure how much further they're, they're going to go in the competition. I think Manchester City are probably the ones that, that could go on to win it. Um, but yeah, I just don't really think it matters to the overall, um, overall you know, spectacle of the Premier League. I don't think it really matters to that, and I don't really... I think a lot of neutral fans care either way. I know a lot of neutral fans don't even really care much for the Champions League full stop. But, um, that's not me. I, I love the, I, I love watching the competition. I think there's normally some really good matches, especially in the, the later stages. Uh, and it's good to, to see English clubs there. But it's yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. And I don't think it matters to a lot of people. It's, it's I think, but you know, a few years ago when the coefficient sort of mattered, it was everyone was a little bit more invested in it, like Arsenal and uh, match. Um, Chelsea would have been a little bit more invested in, in how the teams did. Um, but I think they've pretty much made that close shop now with, uh, I think, England are guaranteed four teams, whatever happens, really. So, that again, that part of, of wanting English teams to do well is gone as well. Um, and just the partisan nature of the Premier League means that teams in the top four, especially uh, of, of fans of those clubs, don't really want to see the others do well. Um it, it's especially on Twitter you see that. So, I mean, I don't, as a New Gloss fan, it doesn't matter an iota to me how, how English teams do. But I, I think, yeah, I think the majority, the, the majority of non, non top six supporting fans probably don't care. And those that do support the top six teams probably don't want their rivals to do well. So it's, yeah, it, it, but to me, it doesn't really matter at all. Uh, yeah, I'm. It doesn't really bother me either. I don't get passionate um, supporting other teams. And really, to confirm what Jake said from the view of uh, me, obviously, as a Manchester City fan, I do, to be fair, usually find myself rooting against the English teams because they're usually our rivals. And so I spend most times during a season, most weekends, wanting these teams to lose. Um, it's 
hard to turn it on as somebody I mean I, I would add to this that as I said before I'm not the biggest England fan either so it doesn't carry you know there's no extra uh, patriotic pride in in how I view club football um, I just like seeing good football and so last year for example as, as petty as this might sound because City's rivalry with Liverpool is massively increased over the last couple of seasons I, I did find myself rooting a little bit against Liverpool in the Champions League final on a just rivalry basis I was quite happy for them to get beat now it also wouldn't have caused me any great distress if they'd have if they'd have won it but I don't get celebratory over English club teams succeeding I don't I don't turn into a supporter for them for the evening or anything like that it's just Really, I just want that, that competition to be the best that it can be. Um, what I think is this, uh, well, what I don't like uh, in the way that it's panned out this season about having all four teams get through. Uh, and I say this knowing for a while that this actually benefits City. But because the other three English teams finished second in the group, mm. massively narrows down who City can play. In the, in the round of 16 because you can't draw a team from your own country in that round. It's only after, in the last eight, that it becomes an open draw. And if you finish first in the group, you have to play a team that finished second. So there's three English teams we can't play. Uh, you can't play the team that finished second in your own group, so that leaves four teams left. Um, now, of those, they're all teams that I think you would make City favourites against. Uh, whereas, you know, if we could play, for example, Liverpool in the next round, we'd have a, a much, much tougher time than you'd expect us maybe to have against Ajax, Roma, just because Liverpool played perfectly against City. <clears throat> Their style matches against City. I, I don't think it does the competition any favours uh, on a competitive basis to be to be massively narrowing down who certain teams can play at, at this stage. Um, but maybe that is just a quirk of how this year has worked out, to be fair. It's not maybe anything that's wrong with the organisation of the competition itself. Uh, but yeah, I get no great pride. I do think it, it, it looks good for the Premier League as a brand when they can say, look, all our, all our teams got through, all our teams progressed and made it to a reasonable stage of the competition. But I don't think it proves the quality of the Premier League in, in any way. Um, and I don't think that I think, as Jake really said, I don't think that supporters on an individual basis, I don't think many supporters get excited or think, wow, this looks great for our league. But yeah, from a, a branding perspective, um, I suppose it's a good, it's good as a commercial success for the league. Yeah, I think, uh, Jake, you also nailed it by bringing up the coefficient, because that used to be a huge thing, especially as the Italian clubs were kind of closing ranks. And then the last season where coefficients really mattered, um, England just stayed ahead. And then the next year, they just got rid of the whole thing, um, which really reduced that kind of tension and, and weird support for the other English clubs. Um, for Tottenham at the time, we were more Europa League than Champions League. And so uh, ensuring that you know, a fourth spot from England remained was seemed crucially important um, and would lead to Tottenham supporters uh, cheering for other English clubs. But as you say, with that now gone, that aspect is now removed. Richard, I do agree that it's it's kind of helped the Premier League's brand in saying, you know, look that our, our clubs are competing, but uh, also, again, has been said, <laughs> they aren't competing as well this year as they did last year, even though all of them went through last year. Four of the five clubs... Uh, advanced in first in their group. And, and Jake, I know you mentioned that uh, Tottenham had a tough group with Barcelona, but last year they had a tough group with Real Madrid and still came out on top. Um, so it, it's interesting because I think what, what it shows this year is that the top of the Premier League is still strong. Obviously, it's starting to separate um, now with that eight-point gap between Arsenal and United in fifth and sixth. Um, well, <laughs> United are one of the Champions League teams, so I don't really know where I'm going with that. But um, I think it's it's showing that the top end Premier League clubs are still competing in Europe, maybe a little bit weaker as a whole than last year. Although I agree, I think City are probably um, better designed than the rest to really succeed there, especially with some of the injury problems that Liverpool and Tottenham are having. <laughs> but it also demonstrates that the growing gap in the Premier League, and so it's 
I'm not saying anyone ever really cared if the top clubs were succeeding in Europe, but I think now it's almost evidence of that gap um, and, and could maybe start to form instead of apathy, maybe more resentment um, in future. But it'll be interesting to see how far the English clubs go this year and what the response is, uh, both throughout the Premier League fandoms and the media. All right, uh, next up on some of the American coverage, there was this conversation this week about if Virgil van Dijk is the best center back in the Premier League. Um, not Obviously not saying it has to be him, but curious to get your guys' take on who you think the best center back in the Premier League is, and it's your club who is the best in that position. Yeah, in the Premier League, I'd probably go Phil Joe. No, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I'd probably, <laughs> probably Virgil van Dijk. I think he's the most well-rounded, uh, good on the ball, uh, got a good aerial presence, is a leader, um, doesn't often make mistakes, um, doesn't really make... look. In, you know, There's a lot of defenders that look a bit clumsy sometimes in attack. I don't think you can say that of van Dijk, although he did have quite a bad foul, I think, in, in the Napoli game. But I just think he... He's been so good for Liverpool and the way since he's come in, Liverpool have just come on a lot uh, as a team and become a lot more defensively solid, which was added to by Alisson during the summer. Um, but, yeah, I think he he's just sort of really transformed their defence. And, and I think a lot of people would have said he was one of the best centre-backs in the league back when he was at Southampton. And, and he's playing for that top team now uh, near the top of the league. It's just really... Um, allowed other people to see how good he is. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's much debate here. Um, I guess you could probably argue maybe Vincent Kompany in his prime would be up there, but I think his good days are, are, are behind him, unfortunately. Um, does still have some good performances, but he can't really, you know, you can't rely on him over a long period of time. And, and I think he's probably lost a little bit because of the injuries as well. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, aside from that, I don't I don't think there's too many great centre-backs, really. Um you could say Toby Alderweireld is he was very good at one point, but I don't think he's that anymore. Uh, it seems to have a, a bad couple of years um, at Chelsea. Uh, so it's, I just don't think there's a lot about. I think I think Rudiger um, and Laporte have a lot of potential to maybe get there. Uh, Davinson Sanchez as well. They're the three that I'd say are really up and coming in the league and and could perhaps one day be in in the debate to be the best in the back. But but right now they're they're all along quite a long way beyond Van Dyke, I think. So yeah, for me, it's got to be Van Dyke, just just the complete package and, and what he's done to Liverpool's defence and signing. Yeah, um, Van Dyke is a he's a pretty special defender. To be fair, it's it's hard to add anything to to what Jake said. He is perfectly well rounded, and the the real testimony yeah the real testimony to how good van dyke is is not just his individual performances but how much better liverpool defense is than it was at this stage last season mm. um it is it is the difference i think in why they are so much closer in the title race this season and i mean even that is generous to last season because they finished 25 points off last season. So to say they're closer, last season they weren't even in a title race. Now we're nearly at Christmas in the top of the league and it is largely built on how good that defence is um, or how, how improved that defence is. They don't ship many goals at all. Um, a couple of the goals that they have conceded, although they all count, a couple of them are down to absolute freak moments, like today's goal that Manchester United scored, a, an unusual handling error from Allison that you won't see too often. So everything really points to Van Dijk having made a huge difference. And you can see it. He's a, he's a commanding presence. He looks extremely comfortable uh, from, from the games that I've watched Liverpool live. He looks extremely comfortable in any occasion. Um, and, and so, yeah, he... He is certainly one of the best centre-backs in the league, and I wouldn't really put up much of an argument to say that he is the best at the moment. That said, I would throw in a mention for uh, for Emmerich Laporte. Um, I accept maybe there's a little bit of, because he's somebody that I see every week, that I'm, I'm going to have a natural bias on this one, or um, just by virtue of, of seeing him consistently be consistently good. Um, Laporte is a fantastic defender and where he, where I would argue, he, or why I could argue that he is as good as Van Dijk is because Laporte is as perfect in City's system as Van Dijk is in Liverpool's. So Laporte might not be yet as well-rounded, 
but what he can do on the ball is huge to City, absolutely huge. And when we say on the ball, we're not just talking about passing, but the way that he's unruffable. So when a ball comes over the top regularly, to watch him bring the ball down when he's under pressure from one or two men and then play a perfect pass to whether it be John Stones or company or Otamendi or either side of him or to Fernandinho in midfield, that is instrumental in in getting a City attack started um, whilst simultaneously nullifying any pressure that the opposition are trying to trying to put on City. Um, he, he sits very, very high up because Pep loves a high defensive line and that could lead to so many problems against fast strikers. Once they're in behind you, that, that could be really problematic. But he's also an excellent tackler, which I think seems to go unremarked on uh, because the rest of his game is so standout and is so much more part of City's um, tactical style that people just talk about how good he is at the passing, how good he is on the ball. But he's, not, he's, he's an excellent tackler. He's really, really strong. He reads the game perfectly or near perfectly. Um, so I, I would probably say that he's up there with Van Dijk this season um, as being as good as him at his job. But I think defensively their jobs are probably a little bit different. Um, and then alongside him, John Stones has been immaculate. I, I'm not going to say he's been uh, the best in the division because Van Dijk probably is above him. But I do think Stones gets overlooked a little bit now as well. Um he doesn't make the errors he used to make and he has grown massively as a result of the responsibility that he had during the World Cup where, in terms of experience, he was England's senior defender. He marshalled that defence brilliantly. Um, he helped bring Harry Maguire to his best. So I do think Stones deserves to be in that conversation. Um, but I think Laporte, because he's played... I think he's still played every minute in the Premier League. I think I'm right on that. He certainly had until a couple of weeks ago, um, which in itself is pretty ridiculous with the demands that's on a, a club that's still going in all competitions. So, yeah, um, I wouldn't make a huge argument against Van Dijk, but equally I think Laporte's got to be in that conversation and uh, I would hope that uh, Liverpool fans wouldn't necessarily argue too much against Laporte either, maybe flip sides of, a, of the same coin. Mm. Uh, Laporte did miss uh, one match I think he was just held out and rested Um, but it's also worth noting when you're talking about his passing abilities he literally leads the Premier League in completed passes right now does Imeric Laporte Um, obviously that is not what's required of Van Dijk so I think your points on the systems are very well made Um, but I do agree that the the way that Van Dijk has made the people around him better um, is is really a testament to just how good he is Um, regarding Jake's comment about uh, Alderweireld um, I think this is the first year that it's become pretty evident that Toby needs Jan or somebody good like Devinson Sanchez, who you needed, who you mentioned, next to him. Um, we hadn't really seen him paired with too many other people than those two. And there were struggles initially when Davinson Sanchez was brought in. And I think early on people were putting those on the young kid coming from Ajax in his first season in the Premier League. But I genuinely think he has some communication issues in his game and at least to some pretty glaring errors that when he's playing with other people like Vertonghen, the the year and a half where Vertonghen and Toby were both fit, the argument was always which of them was better. And I think the answer is that they're just both better together. Um, And so I agree that while Toby had that year maybe two years ago now when it was pretty easy to say he was the best defender in the league, I think now with a little bit of a larger sample size, we've seen that unlike what I was just saying about Van Dyke, where everybody around him gets better, Toby seems to, to depend on better people around him to really live up to that level. He obviously has all the ability on this world, but I think to, to reach that um, elite level, he needs to be surrounded by other elite players, which may not need to be said about the other two. Although, Richard, it's also ridiculous that Laporte keeps not being selected for France. I don't know what that's all about. Yeah, that's... Um... That's pretty crazy. I know France are a pretty decent, <laughs> pretty decent team and have a good squad, but um, they, they can't be so good that somebody of Laporte's quality isn't even worth calling up. It's, uh, it seems pretty insane to me. Yeah. All right. Well, Richard and I basically just talked about the centre backs at our clubs. Uh, Jake, who would you say is the best centre back at yours? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one with Newcastle because I think we've got a few good centre-backs um, in purely on a defensive record. I think we've got the seventh best defence in the league. Um, and away from home, I think we've conceded seven uh, conceded seven in, in I think it's eight matches now or, or something like that. It, it's a really, you know, I think we've got, I think the defence is definitely where our strengths lie. Um, so, yeah, there's a few. I think Jamal Lasells would have been a big one last year, but I think he sort of dropped off a little bit. Um, I spoke about him in the Wolves game not being too good, and he wasn't really great against Huddersfield either. Um, the two for me, I think Fernandez has been really good since coming in. And I think Fabian Shaw has been really good as well. Um, and the thing with Shaw is he's quite good on the ball, um, quite good at getting the ball down and playing long passes over. Uh, to our wingers, who we quite often play counter attacks. I think he's he's been really good. So I'd probably say one of those two. Probably Fernandez purely for, for for as a defender. But I think o- over the season we might see Shaw really come on and and make a name for himself in that Newcastle back three, which is going to be really good to see because he's he's often he's been um, tipped for for big things. He's breaking through in Switzerland. Uh, he's been to a few clubs. He's played for Hoffenheim and, and last year was at Deportivo, but he hasn't really had that big big move yet but he's in the Premier League now and he's really playing well for Newcastle and under Benitez you're only going to get better as a defender so yeah I think he's one that to, to keep an eye on as, as, as maybe a, somebody that could go on for for to a bigger club uh, I'm not sure how how much bigger you can you can go um, without going to a top six club I think I don't want to say Newcastle want that big and uh, a move to like a Watford would be a step up but I think he's one that you might see really his reputation flourish this season and, and go on and maybe get linked to a to a bigger club, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably say him. Um, he, he's the one to watch out for, but but Fernandez is probably the one that's the best all-round defender at this point. Mm. Don't think too many people would have guessed that before the season. No, no, it would have been Lascelles, <laughs> but there we go. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, now that we've already gotten Liverpool fans all excited by talking about how good Van Dyke is, let's talk about how good they are in the season. Obviously, as Richard is all too aware of, Liverpool currently top of the table, not City, who were heavily favored to repeat their title uh this season how legitimate do you guys view liverpool as title contenders yeah i think at this point you got to say quite seriously um they've played 17 won 14 and drawn three um yeah to, and to be unbeaten at this stage is is really quite impressive i know they're, they're struggles in the champions league but they managed to get through there as well which which probably we actually probably strengthens strengthens their title credentials really because I think one it would have been bad to have a setback at this stage of the season and two the Europa League would have completely hampered them I think as it does to to every single club that is in it um, and it, and it would have been alright then to rotate but then you, you you mess up with tactics and and you have to still play a few of your your big players in the Europa League regardless so it was good that they managed to get through purely on that that point um, and their win today it was one of those wins that um, sort of that you, you see from title winners because they were all over um all over Manchester United. Manchester United got sort of a, a, a fortuitous goal, let me say, uh because of of an Allison error. Um probably won't make too many of those this season, but he did today and it luckily for him it wasn't too costly. But yeah, I think it was one of those games that, that they had so much possession but it wasn't really going for them. But at the end they managed to get get the win. So um yeah, it was the type of win that you do see from title winners. So it, in in that sense, I just don't think they're going away. And I I think Rich have gone and, and talk about this that they they are just keeping up with the pace, and it's not easy to keep up with that city team. Um, boosted by sort of a surprise Chelsea winner, I don't think many people saw that coming. But it, it sort of does show that it it, it can happen. Um, and and Liverpool 
might be um, victim to that later in the season against one of those top teams. But yeah, I think they've got to be taken seriously. I think what they did in the the, um, the summer was really good. Bringing out Allison, he's really improved them a lot. Um, I think Cater and Fabinho are going to come on a lot over the second half of the season. Sort of look what we saw with that Robertson last year. Uh, I think Fabinho today was very good. Uh, his, his assist for the first goal was excellent, uh, and he, he he can really add some to that midfield because I don't think John Henderson, James or James Milner are sort of the long term solutions there. So yeah, I think you've got to take them seriously, and they've got that front line, and there's still sort of an element that you think there's a lot more to come from Liverpool. Like in a lot of the games, they don't really get out of second gear. Uh, Mo Salah's doing a lot better recently, but that you still think he's got more goals in him. Firmino, you think he's got more goals in him. Mane, you think he's got more goals in him. And they've added those bench options. Uh, Storage has, has come back and done well from the bench this season and, and offered a good rotation option. Shakiri today showed why they brought him in to sort of add balance and add, a, a, add an option for the bench because he can come in into the midfield. Overall, but but from the bench he can be especially good like he was today. So I think you've got to take them seriously. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the January window goes for City and, and Liverpool, whether any business is done, uh, and sort of interested to see how the Champions League draw goes because that can have a massive um, impact on the season as well. Because you know if, if Liverpool go and draw Bayern or or somebody like that, then then will they? maybe rest players in the league to go for that competition. I'm not sure how Klopp will play it, so it'd be interesting to see uh, how that goes. It's, it's too early to call whether they can win it, but they're, they're certainly a contender. And, and if I was a City fan, I, I would want, yeah, I'd be I'd be worried. I, I wouldn't yet be thinking that, that Liverpool are the favourites, because I still think that is City, but you, you've got to admit that, that they, they are a contender and that you've got to take them seriously at this point. Yeah, um, exactly right. I think um, they are... They are a good team, and they are at the moment. They're just relentless. They they keep picking up points. They do it when they're not at their best. Um, they find a way to break through. They do it. Um, they've, as, as we sort of alluded to before, they've they've done it by tightening up. So the things that could realistically go wrong, the things where for the last few years we've been able to say whatever Liverpool do their defence is going to cost them or their goalkeeper is going to cost them. Those things now aren't, aren't significant concerns where they do have bad days defensively or where the keeper does make a mistake. Um, those things are very much the uh, the anomalies now. Um, and they've, as a direct result of that, they've massively ironed out the sort of the, the biggest chink in their armour, I think, that was losing... They could raise the game for the big games, but they'd often slip up in games that they shouldn't. So last year, after they'd beat us in that incredible 4-3 game at Anfield, when they were the first team to beat City all season, um, a couple of weeks later, they lost back-to-back to Swansea and West Brom, two teams that went on to get relegated once in the FA Cup and once in the league, both at Anfield, which wasn't exactly... Um, you know, that I think that was typical of them, that they, that they would do things like that regularly. And now that that isn't happening, uh, they're putting teams to the sword or they're finding a way through. Um, I think they've compromised some of the out-and-out sort of swashbuckling, ultra-intense and exciting attacking play. Not hugely, that is still sort of Klopp's MO, but I think they've tempered that a little bit to be more resilient. Uh, And I'm sort of... I'm undecided on whether I think that means that as the season goes on, they've got more to draw on and they could switch back to that and just absolutely start blowing teams out of the water like they were capable of last season, like we unfortunately saw a couple of times, or whether it means that once teams do start to work them out a little bit, whether it means that they've got less of a plan B I don't know because if they switch back to that then they could be compromised defensively again so I'm not sure what one of the things that I take encouragement from is that when we played them at Anfield in the nil-nil draw they had in that game I think they had a lot less about them than last season that they started well for the first 10-15 minutes but I think that was something that City to a point allowed them to do to try and ride it out because we've fallen victim to early goals there too many times. I think Pep learned from that and tried to ride it out. And once we got past that and got the measure of them and 
started to sort of pass through them a little bit. City dominated that game for about 70 minutes of it, which is not to say they were never under threat, but they largely nullified Liverpool. Now, obviously, most teams in the Premier League don't have the quality of players. And to be fair, managers with us who are as good tactically as Pep Guardiola, but there is a way to stop them. And I do take encouragement from that. Uh, but it's, yeah, they they are more than in a title race. They are currently leading the title race. I, I would agree with Jake that City are still favourites because we've got the being there, done, a, done it factor. But we've won leagues. Um, we won our first title by overcoming a Manchester United team that were the reigning champions and have been there and done it over and over again when City had never won a league. So just having the experience and proving consistency doesn't mean that somebody can't come along and do it better. Um, so I do think City are the better team at the moment, but the proof of that will be at the end of the season because the best team will win the league because that that's what always happens. Um, they're very, very good and I'm, in, I'm impressed with them, uh, annoyingly so. Uh, and I think a real telling factor now is not just going to be Jake's right that the Champions League draw will will give us a good indication how they handle that around the league fixtures because it gets really, really hard once you go deep into the competition. It's really hard to battle on all fronts. But the other telling thing is the Christmas period because they've got a tough one. Not only United today, which, OK, to all intents and purposes, could have been any other game against a mid-table team, but the intensity of that game and you know it effectively works like a derby for them does mean that it can take a little bit more out of you than other home games against mid-table teams. Um, they also play Arsenal, and then a couple of days later, they play City at the Etihad. Uh, as a City fan, I will start to worry if the gap opens before then, if it's more than a point or two going into the game on January 3rd. Um, and if they were to beat us then, we, I think we would have a job on overcoming them because they've, they've just got that consistency. Um, one of the big tests as well be, will be how they will react to defeat because it's... I'd be pretty sure they will lose at some point. I don't expect them to do a season unbeaten. Um, so how they react once that defeat comes is always a telltale sign. We've seen it with City. The couple of times we lost last, last season, we always bounced back. Uh, we've done it this season. We got beat by Chelsea. We bounced back with wins against Hoffenheim and Everton. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but certainly, uh, I will start to feel very, very uncomfortable if they're still ahead and then beat us at the Etihad. But until that gap's more than three points, uh, I would still say I think City will win the league. But by no means am I taking that for granted. Yeah, probably a, a lot more uncomfortable match days, <laughs> certainly with the improvement of Liverpool. All right, uh, now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests. All right, Jake, let's start off talking to you about Newcastle. You mentioned earlier just how good the defense is doing. You were correct. You are seventh best defensively in the Premier League thus far. Um, and as we mentioned, the centre-back situation is not exactly uh, what you would have expected thus far. Uh, do you think that's been because of the stepping up of players like Shar uh, and some of the others you mentioned? Or do you think it's more of a tactical Rafa Benitez thing? Um, I think it's a tactical thing. Um, I I think we had a pretty good defence last year. Um, it's, it's only... It's going to happen again this year. It's the only way we can sort of play football is to keep teams out uh, and try and get lucky on the break or, or try and create some sort of set play. And sadly, that's the reality of being Newcastle at the moment. And, and that leads to, to some ridiculously boring games like the one yesterday. I think Huddersfield had the, the most possession for a team that lost this season. So, yeah, it was it was pretty, pretty dull uh, watching. They didn't really create much clear-cut-wise, as in Newcastle probably had the best two or three chances of the game, which is it's it's just the way we're set up and, and the way we've got the sort of quick players on the counter uh, capable of, of you know, creating a chance. Um, but yeah, it, it's all reliant on the defenders doing what doing what they do and, and keeping teams out or keeping them to a minimum. But I think it's I think we might have the fourth. Our, our um, defensive record away from home is even better. I think it might be the third or fourth best. I think we've conceded seven, like I mentioned earlier, and, and scored seven. So you, uh, there's not many teams that will have a a non-negative goal difference away from home. So that's really pleasing, to be honest. Because um, in in years past, Newcastle have not been very good away from home. But it's, it's something that has really been developed under Benitez and. 
that is why I sort of went into the game on Saturday. I, I thought we'd win, um, and we did win. It was, it's, we sort of just win those games. We never play well in them, but we seem to get the, the job done, which is what Benitez does. And it's, if you're looking at the league table now, we're up to 14th. Um, there's sort of three leagues that, are, that have emerged. You've got the top five. Well, you could probably split split it into four if we're, if we're talking about Liverpool and City and Tottenham in their own league. But we'll, we'll include Arsenal just, just for the sake of it. You've got this, sort of three leagues emerged. You've got that one. Then you've got the one Manchester United down to, to Brighton, which is separated by uh, five points. That's six to 13th. And you've got 14th to 20th, which Newcastle is sort of leading at the moment. So, you know, it's considering the summer we had and, and the players we've got to, uh, and, and the, the fixtures we had at the start of the year, to, to be there now leading that sort of the relegation teams, if we're going to call them that, is really pleasing. Um, but it's it's just frustrating that if we'd have spent a bit more money and, and billions would have been back, we'd probably be safely nestled into that mid-table group, pushing Manchester United, which that's, you know, we're only 10 points off Man United and Newcastle are terrible. So that is, that's, Sort of, yeah, it shows how good Philly is, is done to, to get us into that position. Um, and, and if we continue at this rate of picking up points, I think we'll, we'll be safe with, with quite a few games to spare, which will be pleasing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, and I think the defence is it's, it's definitely a tactical thing rather than the players. But I think a lot of the players that have come in and done well. And I think even though we don't spend a lot of money, the players we do seem to bring in do really well. I think Dubravka. Is probably in the top five keepers in the league. He's he's incredible. I don't know what he's done playing for Newcastle and, and why at 29 years of age he's not played in one of the top leagues before now because he's really, really good and, and just showed there's still talent out there. If you look for it, I think Shah's been good. Uh, Fernandez has been very good. And it's probably the defender from that Swansea team that was the one worth buying rather than Alfie Mawson who's gone on to another team that leaked goals. Like they're, they're going out of business. So, yeah, I think we've done really well in that even though we don't spend money, we do seem to bring in good players for, for what we spend, which is good. Yeah, you brought up a, a comparison there with United. Also worth noting, they've conceded seven more goals than you this season, just for anybody mm-hmm. keeping track at home. Um, also, we did a segment with you last week on Solomon Rondon. He scores again at the weekend. If he keeps doing this regardless of investment, do you think you might just roll with him as your striker for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think so. I think he's he was the player that Rafa really wanted during the summer um, and he's now come in and shown why uh, Benitez really wanted him there and you know even though he'd only been playing for West Brom he was sort of in a similar sort of team and he's just so good at just doing the the running and, and just holding up the ball um, taking chances when they do come and he does offer a threat he's, he's quite good on the ball he's quite technical um, I think we thought that was free kick they hit the bar last week and then following that up with the cross for the goal for Ayose Perez so he's he's actually quite good and in sort of good at everything that a striker should be good at so I'm surprised at how good he is really um didn't notice it so much at West Brom but I think it's probably something that you only notice if you watch him week in week out because he's playing in those teams where he's not going to get a lot of chances but when he does get them he does seem to score them uh, and the one yesterday was, was a great example of that um it was it was the best chance of the game uh, and he took it and we won 1-0 and I think there's probably going to be a few more games like that this season with him scoring the winning goal so yeah I, I think there's no reason to to go out and buy another striker um I mean in an ideal world we would have another one but you know we are currently owned by Mike Ashley we don't spend a lot of money we've got to be realistic in what we're doing so the fact we've got a, a really good striker doing something we should probably if we get any money to spend we should probably target that in other areas of the squad because there's there's other areas that do need strengthening but yeah I don't, I don't see a reason to change him but he he was excellent again yesterday and he showed why he was the, the striker that Benitez wanted during the summer. Coming to you now, Richard, uh, we're going to get a little bit more serious. Uh, as people probably know that listen to the show regularly, we did uh, a special, particularly on the media ethics side of it, but on the Sterling racism incident um, that happened against Chelsea. I know, uh, Richard, previously we had talked off air about uh, the mistreatment of Sterling in the media, and so only thought it would be fair to uh, finally give you a chance to talk about that on the show. So just curious to, to kind of hear all of your thoughts on that whole situation. Well, I think, um, first of all, in amongst what is a complete mess of, um, first of all, the abuse that that Sterling, um, I suppose we still have to say allegedly, but the abuse that Sterling allegedly received that was racist in its nature, um, and the the press approach to Sterling 
basically over his whole career, or certainly ever since he tried to negotiate a new contract with Liverpool. Um, the, the whole thing has been a, a huge mess that has always been horrifically unfair on him. And yeah, we, we have spoke many a time about how that seemed to have very concerning undertones to it that wasn't ever directed at white players. I think in amongst all of this, Sterling's um, statement on Instagram was absolutely fantastic because clearly that wasn't something that he'd only just thought up on the day. Clearly this is something that has been on his mind for some time about how he and other young black players are treated because he in the comparative post that he made about similar articles um, between black and white players, he didn't even use an article about himself. He used Tosinada Rabayo, um, which I thought was a very smart move because it immediately uh, depersonalised his point, which was clever, I think, because it made it... Um, you couldn't argue that it was just an emotional post. It was it was clearly well thought out. Um, he, is, <clears throat> he has forced a conversation now that has made some parts of the press and some journalists look at what they could do better. Um, Jonathan Liu, I think he's called for The Independent, wrote a, a pretty fantastic article this week in which it was sort of a, the press need to hold their hands up and um, admit that there are incidents or behaviours that they've seen within the sport that they don't talk about, that whilst in itself not reporting on certain incidents that they've heard from managers or players in press conferences. It doesn't make the reporters or the papers racist, but it does perpetuate um, the idea that certain language in certain environments is acceptable or will be tolerated uh, because they have tolerated it. Um, I think Sterling has forced a, a massive sort of a level of introspection from the British media. Um, and he deserves a lot of, a lot of credit for doing that. It's a shame, obviously, that it it had to be sparked by him suffering the abuse that he suffered. But, you know, in the sense that out of, um, you know, not to be sort of too philosophical about it, but out of darkness comes the light. He has he's forced people to look at their own behaviours and that can only be a good thing because the behaviours do exist and they need to be addressed. Um, there's a couple of things that I think in the aftermath, though, that that I don't think have really been addressed enough, right? And, and one of those is that, first of all, the Sun came out with a sort of what, how dare you say this about us kind of statement, completely flatly denying that any of their reporting could possibly have had any influence or led to the opinion that some supporters have of Sterling. When it's just painfully not true, it's clear that their reporting does, and they need to understand the effect of their words. Um, if we sort of give them the credit of believing that they're ignorant as to the effect of their words, they need to learn. Um, it does no good to get defensive on these issues. What needs to happen, what people need to be good enough to do, is to listen and say, okay, this is, we didn't intend for this to happen, um, we don't, we're not in ourselves bigoted, but okay, it's now been explained to us how the language that we use and the tone that we use impacts the way people think and becomes in itself problematic. We will try to do better. That's the right thing. That's what people should do. And people need to understand that being told that something that you do upholds, um, upholds certain privileges um, or uphold certain, or, or plays into certain oppressive systems, um, or that sort of structural racism, that's the word I'm looking for, that exists everywhere. People need to understand how that when it's pointed out to them, it's not necessarily, they're not necessarily being called racist. They're being told something so that they can do better. And that's where so many people fall down. I'll give you a, a, another very recent example of that. Um, you may remember last season, Manchester United fans had uh, a chant about Romelu Lukaku that celebrated a stereotype about black men. Um, and they were singing it in what was by no means meant as an insult. I think they thought it was quite complimentary. And when it was pointed out, even by Lukaku himself, that actually that chant, though meant to be humorous and well-meaning, actually you are upholding a, a stereotype that is quite damaging and originally exists because it was 
first uh, propagated by a horrifically racist film, people got defensive and sang it more and said, how dare you call us racist? They weren't being called racist. It was being pointed out that they needed to do better, that that could change and that they could have a, a better impact by changing. And so um, we, I mean, it's steady to say we, we need a different culture. That's a really hard thing to change, but it needs to keep being talked about now because it's there, it's part of the conversation. Um, it will be picked upon when the press write about Sterling. Again, people will read it in a different way because of how Sterling's spoken about it. Um, and people need to think more critically about the language that they use or that they read. Um, and the other thing that I think has been, I don't want to say troubling, because it's not. It's Again, it's really well-intentioned. But one of the things that we saw this week was people started talking in defence of Sterling about what a nice guy he is. Um, and saying, yeah, the media image that's been presented of him is really unfair. He's not this flash brash, arrogant, blingy kid. He's actually, he's a really nice guy. He's really quiet and he's humble and he's thoughtful. When, okay, that's that's a handy conversation when we're talking about Sterling. But when the conversation is bigger than that, when what we're talking about is racism, to start highlighting somebody's positive character is actually feeding into the same argument. You are still having a conversation in the bubble of this is how we think about black people. This is how we think about black players because you are making him the humble black man rather than the flash, arrogant, blingy, um, young, rich black man. And it it doesn't matter. You don't need to have two diametrically opposed um, characters uh, or, or portrayals of Sterling to legitimise racism or to say that racism isn't okay. The fact of it is that racially abusing someone, regardless of their character, isn't okay. Sterling could be all those things. He could be arrogant. He could be flash. He could look down on people poorer than him. He could be not at all interested in his football. He could refuse to train and take his wage every week. But it wouldn't matter. It doesn't excuse or legitimise abusing somebody based on their race. It's a, it's a separate thing. And so defending his character whilst nice and whilst you know i i'm sure sterling appreciates it to a to a degree it still misses the point and so it's still actually feeding the exact same argument and so ultimately it becomes just as problematic and i i don't know um i don't know to what extent you'd agree with that to be fair or, or if um if that sounds a bit harsh on people who are defending Sterling, but that just comes back to actually people need to be told that and just to do better and call out the racism for what it is, not the necessarily the individual. The other thing, a uh, really quick one on this one, but I find it interesting that it's taken an incident that could be viewed by the whole world and mm. interpreted by the whole world to bring this so to light because actually what is although still, you know, all under the, the, the banner of racism. So it's all the absolute pits of humanity um, and, and coming from people who should very much be on the fringes of society um, with their views. Sterling got physically assaulted leaving work last season um, in what was judged to be a racially motivated incident. I, I think I'm right in saying um, he was racially abused in that incident, physically assaulted outside city's training ground. And whilst it made the news, he didn't get anywhere near the same amount of coverage. And maybe that's because Sterling didn't speak out on it in the same way. But it shouldn't take something being so obviously um, publicly accessible to make this part of the conversation. This should always be part of the conversation where, when, when people are doing wrong and when people need to do better. He was physically attacked and it didn't get anywhere near the coverage that somebody's words had. And essentially, you know, physically attacking someone is worse than calling them a name, isn't it? Yeah. It's all very strange. And hopefully uh, as a society and as a culture, we can move past it both in the sport and outside of it. Uh, it is worth noting that it, I feel like it's already being a little bit misinterpreted. Like, um <laughs> I forget which commentary team it was, but when he scored at the weekend, he said oh. he proved his it was like his doubters wrong or something like that. It's like yeah, they're not they're not doubters, they're bigots. Yeah, like I I don't think they're gonna turn around on his on this based on his footballing ability, considering that's probably not what got them into those opinions in the first place. 
All right, now we'll move on to something far more trivial. Now we're going to talk about the players at our clubs that are a little bit out on the fringes that may get a little bit more of an opportunity as clubs chop and change throughout this busy winter period. Jake, we'll start off with you. Yeah, it's, it's a couple of Newcastle that probably get a go. I'd, I'd expect Muto to come in and get a few more games. That'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, Shelby, you could probably argue, is on the fringes, although I think mm-hmm. that's injury-related. But he, he's probably going to come in at some point. I think Key's off to the, the Asia Cup, so he's probably going to get a few games then. Uh, and, and I expect him to probably stay in the team thereafter, but Key's been playing well recently. Um, but one that I think could really is, is, is going to get a chance over, over the Christmas period. He, he plays in the same position as both of them, uh, but I think that... Maybe between Key going off and Shelby coming back, he's going to get a chance. That's Sean Longstaff. He's a he's a um, a youth player who's come through the academy. We don't have many of those at Newcastle, um, but yeah, he's, he did really well at Blackpool last season on loan. I think he was going to go out on loan again, but he impressed Rafa during the preseason. Um, played in the the Carabao Cup for, and and played well in that game, even though we lost. And and has been on the, the Premier League bench a few times. And he's sort of like a Box to box midfielder. He he can he's good on the ball. He can shoot. He can he can score goals. Could do, did it done it at a lower level than the Premier League, admittedly. But he's he's a good good talent. And, and the fact that he's encouraged Rafa to keep him around the club, where other young players that that Newcastle fans had big hopes hopes for haven't been able to do that and have since been sold, probably shows that he's got something about him. So it'd be interesting to see him come in and, and get a game because I think. Newcastle would like to have uh, Newcastle fans would like to have a few more young players come in. Um, I think we've only got Dummett at the moment that, that qualifies as that, so it'd be quite good to see another one come through. Uh, and I think he's got the potential to do really well um, in the Premier League uh, if he continues to develop as he is. So it'd be interesting to see if he gets a game. But yeah, I think him, him and, and, and Muto are probably the, the two big ones. We don't really have a lot of um, squad options outside of our first 11, so they're, they're the two. Um, and I guess you could probably throw Jacob Murphy in there as well. He's he's the one player that we've spent over ten million pounds on in the last two years, and he's yeah he's not really worked out that well. But I'd expect him to get a few more games, and hopefully that he he can sort of do something because that twelve million pounds isn't a lot, but for Newcastle it's loads. And, and the fact that he's not really done much is a worry. So yeah, I think I think he he's probably going to come in and, and play a bit as well. So. There's three for me that we'll probably see at Newcastle get a few games over the next few weeks. Um, I think for for City, um, I think everybody at City is hoping that Phil Foden will start to get more game time. Um, he is saved. He does come on in stoppage time in a lot of games. Um, Yesterday, he stood on the touchline for about four minutes waiting to come on and the ball didn't go out of play. Or he did once, but he was defending a corner, so they chose not to bring him on. And eventually, Pep had to sit him back down and not let, and let him know that he wasn't making it onto the pitch yesterday. Um, he's a supremely, supremely gifted footballer. He has never looked out of place whenever he's come on. Um, so... I think that the feeling from everybody at City is that he could very much handle Premier League football. Obviously, he's got a, a lot of talent ahead of him and not helped for him, not helped by De Bruyne now returning from injury. Um, but everybody would like him to play a little bit more because he, he's clearly good enough. Uh, and the other one, um, because everybody at City are pretty good at rotating, so even the fringe players play a lot. But the other one that I suppose doesn't, um, I guess Danilo, might fancy playing a bit more football because he, he doesn't even get a look in at the moment. He has had an injury, but he's barely getting a look in. Um, but it's just so unrealistic to expect Kyle Walker to play as regularly as he has been doing and, and maintain anything maintain anything like his top level because obviously we're already in an exceptionally busy period, but it's only going to get busier and busier. So whilst Danilo isn't anywhere near the quality of Kyle Walker and doesn't give anything like the same um, the same quality to the team, I, I suspect he is going to be needed. Uh, and then I suppose it's just other rotation in defence. Vincent Company and Otamendi aren't getting too much of a look in, although Otamendi has played a few games recently. Uh, I'll start to play a few more games. Um, and, and Jake said earlier, you know, Company doesn't play all that much anymore um, just because he's older and, and slowing down a lot and he was always injury prone anyway. Um, but I suspect defence is where we'll see more of the so-called fringe players coming in for us. 
Interesting. Also, um, Brahim Diaz has been starting to get linked away from the club for, for lack of minutes. Would you like to see him get game time, or do you think he is one that, that you could cut loose? Uh, he's good. He's clearly, clearly talented. Uh, he's good on the ball. Some of his uh, his bursts of pace and the way that he can beat a man is exceptional, but he's not going to get into this team at the moment. And so it'll be the right thing for him to move on. And City won't be better served by playing him unless there's injuries, unless they absolutely have to put him in, in which case I wouldn't be concerned about having him in there. I wouldn't be concerned that he wouldn't be up to the job. Uh, but unfortunately, you'd never put him in as first choice over any of our attacking players. And that's the difference between him and Foden. Foden, you can make an argument for him being part of the rotation now. Uh, but but Diaz, not really. So, although it may come back to bite us in the long term, he may prove to be a talent that we'd wish we'd been able to make more of. The reality is, with what we've got at the moment, he would have to be taking the place of somebody who's better than him. Yeah, uh, at Tottenham, it, we saw it this weekend already. Uh, Oliver Skip, all of 18 years old, uh, came into central midfield. Um, and with Sissoko and Winks, the only other fit central midfielders right now, it seems like he'll really get a chance. Um, Tasha Nokli Booth was rated probably a little bit more highly than Skip, um, but has been dealing with injuries and stuff, so it doesn't really seem like he's in the picture. Um, So, yeah, it looks like it'll be uh, Skip that continues to get minutes, and and we'll see if he's yet another one of these uh, English youngsters that Pochettino plucks from the academy and and can slot in and play regularly. I I thought he played well uh, in the match at the weekend. Uh, A little little lateral passy, but, you know, you're not going to not expect that and a player's debut. Um, but he, the, the thing that was really astounding to me is it seemed like he was always in a pocket of space. And part of that could be that, obviously, we had other players that were more threatening and that in the second half of the match, Burnley were just in their own penalty area the whole match anyway. Um, but if that's just a, a trait of his, that he's always able to kind of drift away and, and find space and make himself available to pass, and which also decreases the difficulty of his outgoing passes, I think that could be something very useful in our midfield where... Aside from Winks, we haven't really had a really good passer in central midfield uh, since Modric. So uh, having somebody that has those those traits um, developing at that position is great. Again, just 18, so uh, not trying to expect too much, but did very well on his debut, and he will probably get some more minutes over the next few weeks. All right, we will wrap up with match previews. Richard, we'll start off with you. Manchester City facing Leicester in the Carabao Cup. Do you think we'll see some of those aforementioned uh, rotational players in this one? Yes, um, I would be extremely surprised if Foden didn't start. Um, Diaz may as well, because he uh, he started, definitely started against Fulham because he scored the two goals. Uh, and I th- I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that he started the game at Oxford. So they are definitely cup players. Um, and we played Leicester away at the same stage last year. Um, and Pep was quite happy putting the kids out, uh, and they, they did all right. We should have won, but uh, Leicester cheated a penalty in stoppage time, which is no worries us story, by the way, because I remember uh, a couple of City players attempting to cheat penalties in the same game, uh, but Leicester did it successfully um, and took us to penalties. But the City players, in, the, the youngsters in that game, really equipped themselves well. Um, even in the penalty shootout, I think it was Lucas Nemecha took a particularly cool penalty. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think Pep will have any qualms about uh, rotating the squad significantly for this game. Um, it will also mean that Murich will come in in net for Edison, and he's looked fine when he's played. Uh, he had to make, I think he had to make a decent save against Oxford, and he looks very decent on the ball as well. Um, he's no Edison yet, but he, he does look in that mould, to be fair to him, on the ball. So no real concerns there. Um, and then there is the opportunity to make a couple of really big rotations um, that aren't just bringing the kids in because we're bringing De Bruyne back from injury. He he came on against... Um, why am I forgetting who we just played? That's terrible. He came on against Everton. Um, and... Obviously, they'll be keen to get him right back into action because although he looked fine in himself, understandably, there was he tried two or three of his typical sort of slide rule through balls and wasn't finding his range, which I don't think anybody can have a problem with given the amount of football he's missed. He will get that back. 
this is a perfect opportunity to to help him do that. And similarly, Aguero's coming back from injury. Um, granted, a less serious one, but with Jesus, th- this will be an interesting call. Actually, Jesus has just scored a couple of goals, having been wildly out of form in front of goal, <clears throat> and he was really good outside of the box yesterday as well. Um, it'll be interesting whether Pep takes the view of let him play through that form, let him get himself really back into um, get into his best, uh, or whether he uses it to bring Aguero back to match sharpness. But that shouldn't be missing too much because he hasn't missed a lot of football, really. Uh, so, yeah, there'll be rotation. Um, there'll be a couple of kids, but it will still be a strong team. Yeah, then Tottenham uh, also midweek are going to face Arsenal again. Obviously, it was not super fun the last time this match happened, just a couple of weeks back. Um, I saw some people thinking that maybe the Ericsson and Son benchings at the weekend were to really focus on this match. Uh, that That's just been happening uh, to the side Ericsson's been dealing uh, with injuries a bit more this season than in the past, so we're just kind of finessing him through this this busy period um we will probably see some younger players but as i mentioned we only have three fit central midfielders regardless um so you'd kind of assume skip would get another chance here um other than that i mean we don't really have a whole lot of other options i think if pochettino selected lorente instead of kane that would kind of bring some some um frustration from the fan base who obviously is crying out to finally win something and while Lorente has done decently as a sub when he's come on, he has not looked overly confident in the matches that he started. Uh, you could start Sun up front, which obviously we we had done previously when Kane was injured, um, just to see how that worked. And obviously we have no dearth of wingers at the moment. Um, you could do a Sun Lucas Lamella kind of front three. Um, <clears throat> but at the back, same thing with no Foyth dealing with injury, Sanchez de- dealing with injury, Vertonghen dealing with injury. It looks like it's going to have to be some combination of uh, Toby Alderweireld, Ben Davis, or um, no, is that it? Am I missing someone? Crap, it might just be those two because Dyer's also out getting his appendix. Uh, well, he just had it removed, and it sounds like he'll be out till January. So uh, things are going to be weird. You should see Walker Peters at right back, I would assume. But aside from that, it's pretty much who's been playing is who's available. So uh, probably not as much rotation as we would have seen had people been healthy. All right, and then Jake, we'll finish up with you talking about Newcastle versus Fulham. We were hoping to have uh, Russ on today, but what are you expecting to see in this one? Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game. I think um, it's one that if Newcastle win, we put such daylight between us and the bottom three that we've got to be really encouraged um, about our, our chance of staying up, and, and, and we'd move quite a long way of clear of Fulham. Which you know, if you'd said at the start of the season which team would do better, you probably would have said Fulham. So um, yeah, but they've got a lot of good. Um, good individuals. So it's going to be a tough one. And our record at St. James Park hasn't been great. We've lost to um, Brighton, Wolves, uh, West Ham. Yeah, it's not it's not been great at St. James Park. So it's going to be interesting. I'd be a lot more confident if it was away from home. But I think it's a good opportunity for us to get a win on the board at home, uh, increase confidence, get two wins in a row. And, and if we do that, we've got to put ourselves in a really strong position going forward to take, take us up to 19 points, which is roughly about halfway through uh, the season you got to be uh, encouraged by that so that would be a really good total it, it's it's t- yeah I think Fulham have got I think watching them against West Ham they've got a lot of good players and they can cause problems for opposition teams but they're just they are going to concede two or three big chances during the game and so it could play into Newcastle's hands that we might um, set up to frustrate Fulham even though we are the home team and look to to capitalize on their defensive frailties at the back with you know Rondon um, Perez um Richie, absolutely, you know, players like that. So, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think we're going to win it just because Fulham an absolute disaster and they've only really beaten Southampton and Burnley and, and that was at a time when both of them were awful. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to win. I'll, I'll say I'll say 2-1 because I can see Fulham getting a goal, but I think we, we'll have more than enough to get a couple at home. So, yeah, I think we'll win that one. I'll say 2-1 Newcastle. Yeah, those two teams that you said they beat uh, both have more than 10 goals more conceded than Newcastle this season. Um, so it really takes a porous defense for uh, them to pull off a result. All right, that will do it for us today then. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining me. If there's anything you'd like to promote or anywhere people can find you, now be a good time. Yeah, get me on Twitter at Jake Chapman with two N's for EPL Index, and I also feature 
sometimes on the championship show on the same channel so check that one out uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns, and I am on the Blue Moon podcast, which is at Blue Moon Podcast, and is released every Friday, and is a dedicated Manchester City podcast. Yeah, and I'm your host Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Uh, also, you can find my articles over at ESPN.com/fantasy and Goal.com/gaming. So, uh, if you're interested in the fantasy side of things, go check those out. And as Jake said, we also have the championship show on here. Uh, we've been asked about the fantasy show. It is not formally canceled or anything. Just Rob and I are busy guys, and it's not as uh, regularly weekly. But uh, we'll try to get shows out every now. And again, for those that still want to hear that, uh, thanks you two so much for joining us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.